We're going to conclude uh, our discussion of the problem of alcoholic beverages that we've been looking at the last several weeks. And uh, one of the things that uh, has become increasingly clear as we've gone through this series is that it's really it's important to define the terms. It's important to understand the words that are used and the context in which they're used. Uh, it's important to understand uh, the cultural and historical context as well in understanding this problem of uh, alcoholic beverages. One of the things that uh, that is always important anytime that we study the Bible is to understand the words that are used. And uh, we mentioned at the very beginning of this that the word wine is used 234 different times in the Old Testament, 19 different times in the New Testament. And so there's a possibility there that the word actually means different things in different contexts, and we need to understand that. And it's also important that we define those terms because uh, a misunderstanding of the terms is going to skew to a certain point one way or the other uh, what exactly the context of, uh, that's being mentioned. So what I've done is I'm gonna, I'm gonna demonstrate the problem here of defining terms, and you're gonna help me out. I've got here a, a list of medical terms and their definitions. So we're gonna have a little audience participation, and the people that are gone this weekend, you're gonna come back next week and you're gonna tell them, oh, you missed it, it was the greatest thing. We all got to participate. And then maybe they'll hang around on holiday weekends. Anyway, so here, let me give you an example. Okay, uh, def somebody define artery. Any science teachers here? Anybody that knows anything about medical? Somebody define, oh, professor, how are you this morning, <laughs> sir? Oh, biology teacher, huh? Oh, yeah, go ahead, give it a shot. Artery, define it. No, please, go ahead. Please define it. It's a blood vessel, of course. It's a blood vessel. All right, how many agree that an artery is a blood vessel, of course? How many agree with that? All right, all right, everyone, how many think it may be something a little bit different? Yeah, bank on this one. Artery, oh, you have seen this. Artery, it's the study of paintings. There we go. So, now, now we're starting to pick up on this. All right, now somebody, who wants to risk defining bacteria? Anybody? Bacteria? The back door of a cafeteria. All right. <clears throat> Now you're starting to pick up on what's going on here. It's real important because it has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about. Okay. Oh, who wants to try barium? 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 Anybody? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Please, somebody. Go ahead. Try it. No, you want to. I know you do. You're catching on us. Please, go ahead. Stand up. Give it a shot. What? Oh, what patients do when, what doctors do when a patient dies. Very good. Now, see, we're catching on here. Barium. We barium. Okay. Oh, how many, how many want to try this one? Bile. 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 Anybody? Class? Bile? Oh, no, that's Alabama. You're from the South, huh? Bile. Bile? Close. I like that one better than this one. It's a letter like A-E-I-O-R-U, of course. Uh, bile, that's right. Um, it's Advanta White. She, what? Bile. Bile? Bile? Get it? A-E-I-O-R-U? No, Got to explain them. It's not quite as funny. Um, how about a cesarean section? Anybody? No, please. What were you saying? No, you want to try it? Cesarean section. Come on, somebody, wake up. Close. It's a neighborhood in Rome. There we go. The Cesarean section. All right, good. How about CAT scan? Anybody? CAT scan? What you do to a cat after it's dead? No, it's CAT skin. We used to do them to them when they were still alive. Nah, just kidding, all you animal lovers out there. You environmentally conscious people. All right, cat scan. No, it's actually searching for your kitty. Okay, here we go. How about, oh, here's a good one. How about this one? Oh, here, ophthalmologist, doc, here's one for you. Cauterize. Cauterize. Okay. That's it, made eye contact with her. Cauterize. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right. This is a couple more. How about dilate? Dilate. Very good. Now we're catching on to live longer. All right, and, and the last one is the, the famous enema. Enema? Anybody? Enema? All right, not a friend. Now you got a handle on these things. Enema, not a friend. There we go. And that certainly is true if you've ever been introduced to one of those. So, anyhow... All right, so anyway, uh, you can see that uh, terms are very important to define, that they can be really confusing. And uh, so what we've done is we've attempted to try to define the terms as we've gone through this. 
And the, the five things that we can all agree upon are the five statements, the positive statements that the Bible makes concerning drinking alcoholic beverages. Statement number one, alcoholic beverages are dangerous. Uh, we went into great, great detail and explained every one of those. Wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler, and anyone who is uh, led astray by them is not wise. Alcoholic beverages are dangerous for three reasons. Number one, they're deceptive. They're deceptive to the point that every person that I've ever met that has a drinking problem does not know it, nor do they believe it. Isn't that true? Every person you know that has a drinking problem does not think they've got the problem. The only people that think they've got the problem are all the people around them who think they've got the problem because they believe that they don't have a problem. They are deceived into believing they don't have a problem. They're deceived into believing they don't need to drink. They're deceived to believe that they can quit anytime that they want to drink. Uh, they are deceived in all those different areas. Wine, strong drink, is deceptive, uh, and, it, and as a result, it's dangerous. Only the people around us can see what a problem we really have. They are deceived into believing they could be effective businessmen or women, even though they drink. They're deceived into believing they can be effective husbands and wives and, and, uh, and uh, parents, even though they drink. They're, they're deceived into believing that it doesn't uh, affect them at all in anything that they do. It is a deceptive thing. Drinking alcoholic beverages is a deceptive thing. And I'm going to add one more thing. And also, we're deceived into believing that one drink can't really hurt anything. And I'll explain that in a minute. It's dangerous because it's deceptive. It's also dangerous because it's destructive. Dangerous patterns develop or violence occurs because of people uh, that are drinking that end up getting drunk. And the next thing you know, uh, sad tragedies result as, as a result of drinking too much. Story this week in the paper in Houston, as Associated Press, it was in yesterday's Orange County Register. Two girls taking a shortcut home last month, they crossed paths with a gang initiation. Jennifer Ertman and Elizabeth Pena were just trying to take a shortcut home on a late summer night after an evening of fun at a friend's pool. When the girls crossed paths with a group of catcalling drunken young men, they kept silent and they walked on. But by the time they, by the time they may have realized the group was involved in a gang initiation, there was no escape. The two were gang-raped and strangled. Six teenage suspects, including one 14-year-old, were arrested for the murders. Police said the youths were members of a fledgling gang calling itself black and white. They were drinking to celebrate the initiation of two new members. The article goes on to say, we haven't really classified it as a gang. When we think of gangs, there's usually guns, drugs, money. It was just a bunch of guys sitting around and drinking. Alcoholic beverages are dangerous. There's no way you can get around that. And this is just another testimony of the fact that God knows what he's talking about when he warns us against the dangers of it. It's dangerous also because we saw that it diminishes our, our uh, ability to determine what's right or wrong. And we can see that in the case of this. How many times you, you interview guys like this and say, what in the world were you thinking? I don't know. We were drinking, we got drunk, and the next thing you knew, this kind of stuff happens. And yet, there is a real good possibility that if they had not been drinking, that behavior never would have taken place. So it is a very dangerous thing. The Bible teaches that. Your eyes will see strange sights, and your mind imagine confusing things. We begin to think upside down. What's right is wrong, and wrong is right. We don't know what's right or wrong, and it leads to these types of activities. The second thing that we saw was that alcoholic beverages are denied to certain people for certain periods of time. And, uh, and we can see the list of them. But basically, the bottom line, if you want to summarize all of it, is that uh, God understands uh, the importance of being clear-minded in certain positions of leadership, particularly. Uh, to be clear-minded, not to pervert justice, to be in a position where we know right from wrong. And we saw already that if you're intoxicated, you, you begin to lose that ability to do that. Uh, God also sees the, the, uh, uh, the, the wisdom for those who want to serve God to abstain from alcoholic beverages so that we can clearly see and, and understand God's direction in our life. We can see that as we go through this. Alcoholic beverages are also designed to help people forget their misery. Proverbs 31, 6 and 7 says, Give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. You know, alcoholic beverages are designed by a world for a world that has no hope. Kind of like here, you know what? And if you think about the world that we live in, you know, it's like weekends are made for Michelob because the rest of the week is like utter, just utter turmoil to have to endure. You know, Jesus said that he came to give Christians life and give it abundantly. That every day of our life is like a weekend to me. I mean, I love every day that I get up. It's just one more blessing from God. It's a gift to be able to get up and to be able to go to work and have a job and to be able to earn a living and do all the things that we do. I love getting up every day. You know what, though? But that wasn't always the case in my life. I could relate to, hey, weekends, man, you went and you endured work so you can just go have fun and party on the weekends. 
What a wonderful thing it is to be able to enjoy every day. What a gift that is from God. But the world we live in doesn't see it that way. So here, drown your sorrows and your misery. And you know what the sad thing is? The world promotes alcoholic beverages to help us forget our misery when in essence it just becomes one more part of the misery in which we live. And in fact, that's the mocking that takes place. It makes it worse. It doesn't make it any better. Number four, we saw that alcoholic beverages were fermented to a stage that's not recommended in the Bible. In Proverbs 23, 29 through 31, the question is asked, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints, and who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes? God says, I'll tell you who, those who linger over wine, who go to uh, sample bowls of mixed wine. Those who drink alcoholic beverages is the answer. And he says, and, and, and what, I, what he's warning us is, don't do it. Don't even look at it. Don't gaze at it. Don't think about it. Don't, don't gaze at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Don't even think about it because it's deceptive. It's destructive. It's, it diminishes your ability to know right from wrong. Uh, it diminishes our ability to serve God and to understand clearly what his, his desire is for our life. And it diminishes our ability to enjoy life at its fullest as God intended it to be lived. It is, a, it is, a, uh, it is bondage is what it is. That's all that it is, and nothing else, and nothing less. So, number five, we also saw that alcoholic beverages cause emotional, physical, and spiritual problems. Emotional, physical, and spiritual problems. And we went into great detail as far as what they were. Problems in our marriages, problems with our children, problems in business, problems with our career, problems with, uh, with our friendships, problems with, uh, with our physical health. I mean, that's what alcoholic beverages do. So now we've got to the point... And it really is the essence of everything that we do, and it's the reason that we're here. But, but the, uh, the question that we should ask ourselves, and which we're going to concentrate all of our time this morning on, is uh, really what should be our response? You see, we, we learn all these things, we study the facts, we examine what the Bible has to say, we understand it in the context in which it was, it was uh, given to us. Uh, we, we, you know, we, go through, we go through the motions of learning these things. But the real issue, anytime we get together, and the real question that has to be asked or addressed every time that we open the Bible and we study it, is that how should I, personally, how should I respond to what I just learned? And I want to lay out a foundation for you because I think it's critical that we all understand this because we all deal with different people. I deal with you and in turn deal with others and you deal with other people. Uh, but before we go any further and look at the responses, I want, I want to just explain to you very clearly so you understand. My responsibility as a teacher is not to tell you what to do. It is not. My responsibility as a teacher is to teach what the Bible teaches in the context in which we find it, to define the words that may be difficult to understand, uh, to help us define the words in the context in which they were written, to look at the context in a historical and cultural setting, to understand the history that's involved, to bring all those facts into full detail so that what we study then begins to make sense to all of us. My responsibility, fortunately, is not to tell you what to do. And that frees me up every time I get up to teach the Bible. And I'll tell you why. Because I realize I can't tell you what to do. You, you see what I'm saying? Because if I try to tell you what to do, you'll say, who is he to tell me what to do? I already know that, right? I got three kids, and we, you know, it's kind of like, who do they think they are telling us what to do? And you know, how many of your parents? How many parents? Raise your hands. How many of you, when you told your kids what to do, they said, oh, thank you for telling me what to do? <laughs> thank you very much. You're the most wise, oh, wise sage, oh, master of the universe here in our home, uh, oh, king of the castle. How many of you, I mean, how many of you were told what to do when you were kids and said, oh, thank you very much? <laughs> oh, yeah, right, you did. <laughs> But you see what I'm saying? See, the wonderful thing about the Bible is it's God's responsibility to tell you and me what to do. It's his privilege and his responsibility. So as we go through and we examine all these facts, God says that if his word is taught accurately, that it is profitable, meaning that it has a positive bottom line. It's an accounting term, positive bottom line, that his word is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be adequately equipped to do everything, every good work that's possible for us to do. 
That's what profits us from studying the Bible. The, the Bible also tells us that when God's word goes out and is explained in the context in which it was written, and we're true to the context, that his word goes out and it never comes back empty. That it always has a positive result. So as we go through all this, it's important to understand that it's not me trying to tell you what to do. But it is God's word. His word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That it's able to judge, or it's able to divide bone from marrow and judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now here's why I'm explaining this to you. Because I know and you know, as we study the Bible, there's a little voice inside of you, if you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Spirit of God lives within you, there's this little voice inside of you that says stuff like this. Amen. That's right. This is what you need to do. You know it and I know it. Now what gets all messed up is, is that we begin to talk to one another and try to rationalize and justify why we don't have to do what the voice inside of us is telling us to do. You see what I'm saying? And so when you begin to believe, when you begin to believe that it's me or some other guy or some other lady in a Bible study somewhere telling you what to do, then you can walk out of here and say, I don't have to listen to him. Who does he think he is? God? And say, no, but I'm telling you what God has to say. And God reinforces what he has to say by his spirit living within you saying, hey, you, that's my word. That's true. That's right. Because the spirit of God guides us into all truth according to his word. The spirit of God convicts us of sin in our life, of right ways to live, and of judgment if we decide we're not going to listen to him. So the question is, to obey or to disobey, that is the question. Really is what it boils down to, isn't it? I, you know, I, I need to explain this every now and then because sometimes we get confused and think that it's some guy's idea what we're going to share. These responses are in no way, shape, or form what I believe you're supposed to do. There are thoughts that I've had. There, there are struggles that I deal with. Uh, there are things that God speaks to me in an own private way and says, you know what, these are some things, Chuck, that you need to consider about the topic and the subject that you just learned about. Now, if you identify with this and you go, amen, and that's right, well, then you've got a responsibility to be obedient before God in that area of your life. Now, if you disagree with it, then, you've got to ch then I challenge you to come up with reasons why you disagree. Biblical reasons, not personal reasons, not because you don't want to change an area of life, but you come up with biblical uh, reasons that says, I don't have to do what I just learned because this contradicts what he just said. And then you've got an opportunity to try to debate that before God. So the real issue as we go through this is we can play games with one another, but if it's the Word of God that's taught and it's the Spirit of God who convicts us and uses the Word of God and He's able to judge our thoughts and our intentions of our heart, then it's God's Spirit who's saying to you, you might want to consider changing some areas of your life. So as we go through this, we need to understand some things. How should we respond? Now these are just suggestions, as I said. Uh, if, you're, if you agree with them in your heart, uh, then it's you know, something that you need to consider making some changes in your life. Uh, if you don't, then you need to try to understand why you don't and figure out whether you're just rationalizing or justifying what you're already doing or that, you know, that you're not convicted in that area. We'll see. Number one, I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but I'm going to explain it anyway. So first thing is, um, now this, is, this almost sounds ridiculous. At the risk of sounding legalistic, the first thing that I'd suggest is that you just stop drinking alcoholic beverages. Oh. Man, that's a something, isn't it? Man. Well, I mean, and, 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 I, and I realize, and this is at the risk of sounding legalistic, because there are churches who would teach that drinking alcoholic beverages are a sin. You know it and I know it. But I'm going to make just an absolutely as honest statement as I can. There's nothing in the Bible that we've studied to this point that would tell me that having an alcoholic beverage, having a drink, is a sin. Nothing. There is many things that tell me that drunkenness and being intoxicated is a sin, and that we can all agree. But having a beer, having a glass of wine, having a margarita, rum and coke, whatever your fancy is, whatever it is that you like, uh, there's nothing in the Bible that's going to teach you or tell you that that's a sin. All right? Woo! I know some of you, like, from, you know, legalistic backgrounds are like, you know. <clears throat> Find it. You know, you find it, you show me. I'm being as honest as I can about this because I believe that if we teach the Bible honestly, that God will use it and it'll come, it won't come back empty. So, the point is this. Having a drink is not a sin. Getting drunk is a sin. But the question I have is, is having a drink wise? That really becomes the issue, doesn't it? See, I would say stop drinking alcoholic beverages. 
<clears throat> it's important to realize that no one who has ever gotten drunk or intoxicated, smashed, blitzed, hammered, or slammed, <clears throat> whatever term you like to use, think about those descriptions. Drunk, blitzed, hammered, slammed, and, and there's others that I didn't write down that I'm sure you're all familiar with. Uh, <clears throat> think about it for a second. That, now, it's important to understand that no one's ever gotten drunk without having taken the first drink. All right? You follow what I'm saying here? No one's ever gotten drunk without having the first drink. All right. So we need to understand it. Every intoxicated person that I've ever met, including myself, has gotten to that point one drink at a time. All right? What I, water. And another thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And usually that's how that all takes place. Um, good question, though. That's the kind of accountability we all need, isn't it? Funny thing is, you believe me. Uh, no. <clears throat> stop drinking alcoholic beverages. All right? Why should you stop drinking alcoholic beverages? Now, you think, think out loud with me. I'll tell you why I think I shouldn't drink alcoholic beverages. Because it's dangerous. We already saw the reasons why. Moody Monthly Magazine, 1989. Listen to this. The general public has long accepted the proposition that small amounts of alcohol are not harmful to the user. Recent research, however, indicates that this is not the case at all. For example, studies have shown that a blood alcohol level of only 0.035%, most states define intoxication at 0.10, the state of California is 0 0.08, um, which can be reached, speaking of the 0 0.035, can be reached with only one drink and it results in a decline of visual acuity and in the execution of simple and complex muscular tasks. Small amounts of alcohol affect hand-eye coordination more than mental and verbal activity. This means that a person may be unaware, there's that deceptive part again, this means a person may be unaware of impaired performance, a situation that often results in tragedy on the road. The University of Michigan did a study and concluded that one can of beer increases the probability of a driving accident by four times. A couple of days ago, I was reading in the paper about a wrong-way driver on Irvine Boulevard. Maybe some of you read about this. He was going the wrong way, Irvine Boulevard. He, he hit head-on into a CHP officer on his motorcycle and killed him instantly. All right? He was charged with misdemeanor vehicular... I don't know what it was. It was a misdemeanor of some kind uh, it, that caused the death of another person in a vehicle. He couldn't be charged with drinking alcoholic beverages because his alcohol blood level was 0 .035. That's fascinating to me, looking at this same study. It says his alcohol level was 0 .035, which was under the legal limit for intoxication. He said he fell asleep at the wheel prior to the accident, and by the time he woke up and saw lights coming to him, he could not respond quickly enough. Isn't that interesting? This means that a person may be unaware of impaired performance, a situation that also often results in tragedy on the road. That's something, isn't it? I'd say stop drinking because it's dangerous. I'd say stop drinking because it leads to a violent activity. I'd say stop drinking because it diminishes our ability to know the difference between right or wrong. You know, if you stop and think about it, let me ask you a question. This was asked me last week, and it's a very good question. How many of you know someone that can tell you to your face that the secret of their success in business and in their home and their relationship with their children and other people was because they drink? How many people? How many people you know say, you know what, the reason I'm as successful as I am is because I drink on a regular basis. <laughs> now let me ask you this question in reverse. How many even know of people whose lives were destroyed because they drank, whose businesses were ruined, whose careers were totaled, whose family lives fell apart, who don't have a relationship with their children now that they're adults because they drank while their kids were growing up? Let me ask you a question, and let's be fair about this. How many of those people can you line up and we can begin to hear testimony after testimony? It is a destructive practice. If not, no other reason, it's not a matter of whether it's a sin or not. It's a matter of how wise is it. Now, that leads to the second thing. Oh, you know what? By the way, too, every rehabilitation program for alcoholics includes the premise that abstinence is the only allowable lifestyle affordable to them. Isn't that interesting? Number two, now this may seem real obvious, and all these may seem obvious, but maybe they're not. Number two is if you decide that you're going to quit drinking alcoholic beverages, I would suggest that you just get them out of your house. Remove them from your home. All right? See, if, 
if you're going to decide to stop drinking, make it easier on yourself and not have drinks around the house that is accessible to you. All right? Does that make sense? Is this too deep for y'all? Now, I'm trying to keep it surface. You know, it's kind of a you know, long weekend, vacation time, kick back, relax. But does this make sense? Can I give you one reason why I think you shouldn't have it there? Besides that it's a lot easier if you don't have you know, it available when, when you are tempted to drink. For those of you who have it accessible in your house, think with me for a moment. How many of you, when you were children, when you were growing up, I don't know how old you were, whatever, had parents who had alcoholic beverages at the house? How many of you? Raise your hand. All right, all right, no, 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 no. Let me ask you this. How many of you, when the folks were gone, all right? Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. How many of you, when the folks were gone, took, snuck a beer, had a glass of wine, and learned how to water down the hard stuff? You know what I mean? You know, you knew where the line was, right? You knew where it was. And if you took some of that, you knew all you needed to do was put water in there and fill that back up to that imaginary line because they never marked the line on there because they always just looked. You know what I'm saying? How many of you did that? Be honest. All right, all right, all right. Here's the point. Here's the point, all right? Now, if you did that, what do you think, your kids, you think they're not as, as bright as you were? It's a genetic, hereditary thing. You know what I mean? I mean, isn't it true? I mean, you look at your kids, and the things that bug you most about them are the things that you do, right? And that's why it bothers you so much. If it wasn't something that reminded you of you, then you could deal with it a lot easier. But it's like, I wish they wouldn't do that, because it looks just like me when they do that, and I think that's disgusting and I probably need to do something about it but I don't want to what's the point the point is is if you got children at home and you say drinking alcoholic beverages is dangerous then what in the world do you have a, a dangerous thing around your house for and I'll guarantee you when you go somewhere that the natural curiosity is going to be that they're going to sneak and they're going to drink now whether you understand or believe that or not ask all the people who've done it there's a good possibility that that'll take place right all right here's another problem this is funny True story. In one of our Rams Bible studies a couple years ago, we were talking about drinking. And you know what I'm dealing with? You know, gee whiz, you're dealing with uh, professional sports. Uh, you know, I, I work in a construction industry. I, I come from a, a steel mining town, or a steel mining town, steel milling town, coal mining town. Uh, you know, the, the official beverage of Pittsburgh is a shot and a beer. So, you know, it, it's kind of the way that works. And the primary language is swearing. Um, secondary is, is some form of English. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, but so I'm dealing with these guys, right? And we ask this question. Well, hey, is drinking alcoholic beverages a sin? Be honest with them. Absolutely not. Drinking beer is not a sin. They go, oh, good. Yeah, some of you did until we get through this a little further. <clears throat> and I said, but is it wise behavior? One of the guys opened up and he said, you know, his boy was about four or five at the time. And they, were, and they were talking about drinking's not a good thing. Because his son was at that age where he started asking questions like that. No, drinking's not good. No, it's not a good thing to do. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Okay? One day, he's up in the bedroom, and his son comes running in the door, man. Just bursts in the door. And he goes, Dad! Dad! You're not going to believe this! What is it? Someone put beer in our refrigerator. <laughs> Think about that. This guy's huge. But not that moment he wasn't. He gets on, he goes, it's the first time you realize how important our value systems are caught more than they're taught. You hear that? Our value systems are caught more than they're taught. Whether you agree with this or not, the Bible can concurs. Our children and your grandchildren are going to become just like the people that are closest to them in their life. They will become just like you, for good or for bad. Our values are caught more often than they're taught. The Apostle Paul challenges the Philippians and he says, hey, you know what, the things that you see in me, the things that are good, that are honorable, that are, that are lovely, of good repute, those things that you see, practice and do those things. The Bible tells us to be imitators of God, to be just like God, to live our lives just as God would live it, to live our lives just as Jesus Christ lived his life here on this earth. We're challenged to do that. We're challenged to say to our children, hey, you know what? Don't just do as I say. 
but do as I do. The hypocrisy is too obvious otherwise. We're challenged to tell our children and those we have influence over, walk this way, follow me. It's safe, it's right, it's pleasing to God. Now this is, this is maybe too simple sometimes, but I'm going to ask you another question, because you hear this often, and that is people that have alcoholic beverages at, in their homes uh, to be able to make uh, available for guests who like to drink. All right? For those of you, let me ask you a question. <laughs> if it's really dangerous, why would you offer it to your friend? All right? See, alcoholic, drinking alcoholic beverages to me is like playing with rattlesnakes. It's not a sin, but it's not too smart. You follow me, right? Isn't that true? It's not a sin, but it's not too smart. Now think about the friend that comes over and says, yeah, I'd like, you know, and you say, would you like a drink? Well, first of all, you initiate it, right? So you have it available to give to people, though you yourself wouldn't drink it because it's dangerous and it's stupid and it's not the right thing to do, but you would give it to somebody else who comes to your house, okay? That's how we think. I don't know why we think like that, but that's why we think, how we think. To me, it would be like telling that person, Listen, hey, Joe, you know, I don't play with rattlesnakes, but, uh, but I heard you do. And uh, so I just happen to have uh, some out here in the garage. And uh, would you like a, uh, a Western Diamondback or would you like a Sidewinder? Think about that. And that was, I mean, that's what you're saying, right? I, well, I don't play with them, but I heard you do. So just in case you came over, I have this box of rattlesnakes in my garage. It's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. Man, we're like brain dead sometimes, right? See, and I'll tell you why. We give it to them because we don't believe there's anything wrong with it. I'll guarantee you that because I'll ask you a question. For things that you think are wrong, you don't offer it to your friends and family when they come over. Right? Well, I don't think Coke's right, but, you know, I heard Fred's a Cokehead. So I happen to have a couple of grams here in the back. Think about it. You know, I don't smoke weed, but hey, you know, I just got this plant growing out here in case old Joey stops over. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what you believe is wrong, you don't offer it to people. Because I believe you offer them drinks because you don't think that it's wrong. That's as simple as it gets. That's what I believe. And I'm challenged to think the same way. I'm challenged to think about these things just like you are. It's a challenge to me, too. Think about it. Why would you offer somebody something that you wouldn't do yourself? And why would you do it just because they're doing it if you really believe it was dangerous? Which is the next thing. Number three, I'd say encourage others to stop drinking. No matter how much or how little they drink, if they're Christians, you share what God has to say in the Bible. All right? Because the good news is if they're Christians and the Spirit of God, obviously if they are Christians, the Spirit of God lives within them and you share what the Bible teaches and you give them passages and references and you tell them, hey, you go study this, you go read this, and you come back and you tell me what it says. Okay? The wonderful thing about that is, is that God will change their heart because the truth will set them free. You don't have to convince anybody of anything. The best way to encourage other people not to do something is don't do it yourself. There's the role model that we're looking for. The best way for me to encourage my kids not to drink is don't drink. It doesn't get any easier than that. And if you're a Christian and you still think it's okay to drink, and I'm a friend of yours and I think it's dangerous according to the Word of God, my responsibility is to point out in the Word of God why God says it's dangerous and let you study it, you examine it, you be convicted by it, and let God deal with you in your life because I got enough problems in just being obedient in my own life. So I'm not here to change the world. I'm here to be obedient. God's word will change the word, and I'm here just to be able to share it. That's as simple as it gets. It makes it really easy on everybody this way. Encourage other people to stop drinking. Funny illustration. Maybe you can relate to this. Linda and I are going out to dinner. We go walking in this restaurant, and uh, off to, to the right, something catches my eye. And it's a guy that I know from church. Now, would I say this church and have you all look around at one another? No, I would not say that. It's from a church, some church somewhere. And he's sitting at the bar, and he's got one of those big old long neck glasses of brew ski working for him, man, big old long one, right? And so I'm walking by, and I, and I, I whispered to Lynn, I said, guess who's going to be coming to visit us in a second? So we walk on by, I, he sees me, I see him, hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. Go, sit down. You know, we sit down, we're sitting there at dinner, and we're just like, you know, having dinner, whatever. And uh, here he comes, walking behind us. Hey, how you guys doing? Oh, hey, good to see you. 
Okay, I'm good. Hey, uh, you probably noticed me sitting in there drinking a beer. <laughs> you know, you're probably right. <laughs> he goes, you know, just want to tell you that uh, I'm German. That is nice to know. So, you know, the next big German holiday, I'll, you know, send you a card. What the? No, I'm German. And, you know, German, Germans really appreciate a good cold beer. Now, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm Italian. My grandparents made their own wine all the time. Had it in the basement. They really enjoyed wine. Hey, if I'd have come a couple hours later, you wouldn't even recognize me. So, anyway. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, all right, I'm Italian. And so, you know, I should have just said, hi, I'm Chuck, I'm Italian. This is my wife, Linda. She's German. <laughs> now I'm thinking, she's German, I'm Italian. We should be getting blitzed. That's a hereditary privilege. I never realized it. I'm thinking, what in the world? So, you know, but the thing is, now the question I ask is, why do you have to explain that to me? What, do I, what, what am I keeping, like, what am I, God's little security patrol officer or something? <laughs> oh, I saw Fred having a brew, keeping a little diary. I could care less whether he has a beer. That's between him and God. It didn't change my life. It didn't change how I enjoyed our dinner and my time with my wife. It didn't change anything. He's got to live with that, and he's got to deal with it before God. You have to explain it to me, but I'm sure he's kind of going, please don't use me as an illustration. <laughs> you know, the names and the faces are changed to protect the guilty. Anyway, um, so anyway, but, but the point that, that it's like, hey, you know what? Oh, so what? Why justify it? Why rationalize it? I don't know what you need to rationalize why you drink. You're German, Italian, I don't know, whatever it is. I mean, but the point is, why explain that? if you're not convicted about what you're doing. And the thing that bothers me most and is overlooked often, what's he doing sitting in a bar without his wife, without his family? Where are they? And what were they doing? And what's better, what, what did they think he was doing? See, that's the thing that bugs me, you know? I, it's not whether he had a beer or not. I mean, that's his problem. But the, the, the deeper problem is, what's he doing? Why is he where he's at? See, that concerned, that concerned me more than the fact he had a beer. Because, you know what? Hey, if you're a Christian, having a beer is not going to take away your salvation. Okay? You got that? I mean, that's just a wonderful thing to understand. It is not going to change your relationship to God. It may not be a wise thing to do. Encourage other people to stop. Number four, refuse to participate in activities that promote, encourage, and allow drinking. And I'm going to take ten extra minutes because I've been getting cheated now for a month on my time. So you just hang in there and wait with me because we're not dragging this out any more than we have to. We're going to finish this today. So there, don't be getting all anxious about your, your watch just beeped. If you've got to take your medication, take it. <laughs> <clears throat> Number four, refuse to participate in activities that promote, encourage, or allow drinking. You got it? Pretty simple. Refuse to participate. Two out, of every, two out of ten social drinkers end up having a problem drinking. That's all the statistics. Everything you want to read, that's the truth. Um, this was an interesting thing. Growing up, I, I went to a Catholic school, went to a Catholic grade school, and uh, Catholic church always had these fascinating ideas for fundraisers. One of them was Monte Carlo night. All right, Monte Carlo night. What the heck's Monte Carlo night? Gambling and booze to raise money for the athletic department to help support our children. All right? Now, this, is, this isn't a slam of Catholic Church. This is just a, a, you know, an observation I made while I was a kid thinking, what's wrong with this picture? You know? Think about this for a second. There's a bunch of, I mean, we're raising money for the athletic department. You know, athletics, you know, good shape, good diet, wholesome, uh, get enough sleep, enough rest, you know, eat the right foods, lift weights, be disciplined. We're getting hammered and smashed tonight to raise money because that's a good cause. Okay? So I don't know if stuff like that bothers you, but it was just a th thought. Now, if you're in a leadership position, I work for a guy who, in a construction business, you know, typical, stereotypical construction guy, uh, you know, they're out there drinking and doing whatever else on job sites, would have field meetings. He'd bring everybody into to the office 
and meet out in the back in the warehouse and then provide cases of beer for this meeting. And I think, are you an idiot or what? Let me tell you something. Those guys have two beers, they drive out of here and they get in an accident, they're going to sue you. Why? Because the guy that just wrecked into them doesn't have a penny to his name for the most part because most of the time he's, he's wasting it on, on his, his lifestyle. But the reality of it is, if he goes out and gets an accident, they're going to say, where, where were you drinking? Oh, I was drinking uh, at my boss's office. Who provided the beer? Well, he did. Who's responsible? He is. That's the truth. If nothing else, it's just stupid. Is it a sin to give somebody a beer? No, but is it stupid? Yeah, absolutely it's stupid. It's, it's not wise behavior. I'd say just refuse to participate in it. You know, the little lunches, the martini lunches, the business type things, you know, you, got, you feel like you got to suck up and become like the person that you're out there with. Hey, you know what's a wonderful thing about being light and salt in the world? Just be who you are and don't worry about being influenced by the world because the world is trying to drown their misery and they're looking for, they're looking for contentment. They're looking for peace. They're looking for joy. They're looking for happiness. And if you demonstrate that... By the fact that you don't have to drink to enjoy life, they're going to be sitting there going, man, why do I have to drink to enjoy life? What do you have that I don't have? Stop becoming, just quit being chameleon Christians. Just be who you are. Stop blending in with the world that we live in, man. We're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to be a light. We're not supposed to become one of them, secret service, infiltrate them. We're supposed to stand out in the crowd, you know, and that's what we're supposed to do. Refuse to participate in activities like that. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I've got a friend that, that uh, has his kid in, in, a, in a private Catholic school not too far from here. Every year they have an annual fundraising carnival and fair. Every year they have a beer booth. All right? Check this out. The message in the school has been, don't drink. That's what you tell kids. Say no. Don't drink. Then you got this big old beer booth, and you got people slobbering and getting drunk and being stupid and throwing up big chunks of hot dogs and stuff like that. <laughs> Right. Think about it. Hey, go to Anaheim Stadium, man. You go in there, man, big chunks of hot dogs in the urinal. You know, it's, it's just disgusting. But the point is, you know what they did this year? They said, we're not going to have a beer booth this year because it's a, con- it's a hypocrisy. It's contradictory. And you know what's funny? They didn't have a beer booth, and they made just as much money as they ever did on the biggest year they ever netted any kind of profit they did. And the message, I think, is very simple. In Loving God, Chuck Colson writes this about a guy who owns a hotel in Oregon. I want you to listen to this. Orv Krieger, a hotel broker with a friendly Midwestern's grin, received a call about a choice piece of property for sale in Spokane, Washington, and he was thrilled. He knew the 140-unit Holiday Inn minutes from the airport and perched on 13 acres of furry hillside overlooking the city was a buy despite its multi-million dollar price tag. So instead of listing it for sale to someone else, Orv took the plunge and bought it himself. Only there was one problem. The Inn's restaurant was the big moneymaker, and no wonder. The bar averaged, grossed an average of $10,000 a month. But Orv wasn't going to keep the bar. Not that he wanted to impose his views on others, but as a Christian, he chose not to run a business subsidized by alcoholic beverage sales. The, the motel manager argued that if guests couldn't get a drink at the Inn, they'd be out of the door to a competitor in a flash. He also gave Orv some convincing statistics that showed the motel couldn't make it without the bar. Orv listened politely and closed the bar. He must stick to his convictions. The manager promptly quit. Orff continued with his plans, remodeled the hotel lobby, replaced the bar area with a cozy coffee shop brimming with greenery. In his, last five year, in his first five years of business, food sales went up 20%. Room bookings were up 30%. Still, profits are not what they could be. If the bar were open, the hotel would be a real money machine. But as Orff says, his grin is big as ever. Beliefs aren't worth much if a fellow's not ready to live by them. What a great story. What a great story. And the reality is true. You may not get that deal because you don't go out and drink with that guy or gal. You may lose that one. But what did you lose in being obedient to God? Because God is the one who takes care of us. He's the one who provides for us. And we don't have to compromise and sell out for money for anybody. And I like that story. Number five. Offer help, support, and accountability to those who are addicted and want to stop. There are many good organizations, Christian-based, biblically-based, that are available to help people who want to stop drinking who want to get help, who need help, and we need to be able to offer those services to anyone who desires to stop drinking. Offer help, support, and accountability, and that's really the important thing to those who want to stop and who are addicted. Number six. I'll go a little fast. Number six. Insist on stronger laws against drunk driving. I mean, what can you say? You know what? Every day you read it in the newspaper, somebody else is, is hurt, maimed, or killed by a drunk driver. We saw that seven kids in a pickup truck how many saw that story? Seven kids in a pickup truck going up the, I think, the Long Beach Freeway. 
were hit by a drunk driver. They were knocked over the side of an embankment, and seven of them right in the back of the pickup truck were killed instantly on contact. Why? Because of a drunk driver. You know what's really funny? You read the rest of the article, and you think the problem was the seven were riding in the back of the truck. And it's true. That isn't the brightest thing to do, and there may need to be laws that change that as well. That's the da most dangerous thing I've ever seen. Dogs and people and stuff sitting in the back of pickup trucks going 70 miles an hour down a freeway. That's stupid. But that's not what the problem was. That contributed to the problem, but the initial problem was a drunk driver. And we've become so tolerant in our society that that wasn't even mentioned in the article. A whole article on the dangers of riding in the back of pickup trucks. The guy that was drunk caused it all. Let's be wise here. Let's consider some things. Insist on stronger laws against drunk driving. Uh, here's another thing you want to think about. Drinking and driving don't mix, right? How many of you heard that advertisement, that commercial, that message to every person that you can imagine? Drinking and driving don't mix. Then why can you go into an Arco gas station and buy beer at the AMPM Mini Mart? What kind of message is that? Go in, fill up your tank, and get a six-pack to go. Man, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't allow people to sell alcoholic beverages at gas stations since drinking and driving don't mix. That's just a thought. I don't know. I mean, just think about it for a second. Maybe we should lower the legal intoxicated li limit from 0 0.08 to 0 0.03, if that's really where we're impaired and affected by what we drink. Maybe we should raise the drinking level from 18 to 21 and make it standard throughout the country. I don't know, and I'm not here to try to tell you what to legislate as far as laws, but it's just a thought. Number seven, and this is a difficult one, and, but I want to explain this as carefully as I can. Do not remove the responsibility and the sin of those who become alcoholics from their understanding. Do not remove the responsibility and the sin of those who become alcoholics from their understanding. Every pamphlet, every leaflet, every booklet that I read carefully explains how an alcoholic is not responsible for their actions. All right? Now listen to me. It may be true when a person reaches the, the, the level of becoming an alcoholic that from that point on they really don't have a full understanding of their actions nor, their nor what they're responsible for. But the moment they decide to drink to begin with is what God holds them responsible and accountable for. You follow what I'm saying here? This is very important. Alcoholism may be a disease and it may be an illness, but the person that becomes ill or afflicted with the disease becomes that way because they chose to drink. It's a self-afflicted wound. And we need to understand that because only when we teach the truth can the truth set people free. They are responsible for their actions up to that point. And we need to recognize that because drunkenness is listed along with many other sin in the Bible. You will not find one passage of scripture that tells me anywhere that a person's an alcoholic is not responsible nor accountable for God for the, for the point that they've reached in their life. All right? We need to be very, very sensitive to that, but we also need to be very accurate and teach the truth. And I'll sh explain that in a minute. Number eight. Don't make jokes about alcoholics. You know why? Because there's nothing funny about it. Uh, number nine, insist that leaders in your community and church abstain from alcoholic beverages. Why? Because God already warned us that if you're in a leadership position, you can pervert justice by being under the influence of alcohol. Hey, I don't want some legislature sitting around making laws that's going to affect my life, my family's life, my children's life, our society's life, who's influenced by alcoholic beverages or drugs. I don't want that kind of leadership in the church, and I don't want that kind of leadership in our community. And I think it's a travesty of justice when you've got people who are, who are, are, are guilty of uh, criminal activity or they get arrested for drunk driving when they're a senator or a congressman or, or a local mayor or a political leader. I think, you know what? Bounce their butt right off, right, right off the stage right at that point. Because if you're going to dictate public policy, you better be clear-minded because it's tough enough to lead clear-minded it's impossible to lead when you're influenced by, uh, by alcoholic beverages. And if you're going to be guilty, and how a guy like Ted Kennedy can still be a senator in this country, and this isn't a political Democratic Republican thing, it's a matter of looking at the record and seeing how many times his life has been impacted in a negative way by drinking alcoholic beverages, and the fact that he's still sitting there making laws in this country is a joke. It's a joke. The fact that he ever took office after Chappaquiddick is a joke. And that family's life are ruined because of that tragedy, and those who are guilty of the crime continue to go on because we live in a society that says, man, I like to drink, you like to drink, I don't want to take a hard stand, I don't want to enact laws against drinking, and we got this big lobby over here that's generating billions and billions of dollars selling alcoholic beverages, and oh, we don't want to, oh, 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 
hey, you know what? We need men and women that are going to be in public office that are going to serve us in the, in the, in the good of the community. I don't know. And especially in church leadership. Man, it's tough enough to be on a board of elders without having to go slam a couple of drinks down to handle the pressure of your last meeting. I mean, what in the world? We better turn to the Lord and trust the Lord and look for Him the direction and, and hope for our future. And we don't need to be influenced by spirits. We need to be influenced by the Spirit of God. Number 10. And this is the most important thing and we're done. Realize this. That Jesus Christ can set a person free from all of their sin, including alcoholism. That's really what it's all about, and that's what it all leads to. And the most important thing that we need to understand, and I want to close with this particular passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're done. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it emphasizes a couple of things that we've already talked, but 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, for neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. See, and the point I'm going to make is, hey, if alcoholics aren't responsible before God, then I guess neither are homosexuals, neither are thieves, neither are fornicators, neither are adulterers, neither are swindlers, neither are revilers. See, the point is that they all are responsible before God for their actions. And... Uh, but the good news is this, and such were some of you, and we could go around the room, and such are some of you, and some of me, and the good news, and the wonderful news about freedom from all of that sin is in Jesus Christ. He says, but such were some of you, but you were washed, washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the spirit of our God. Men and women, don't ever, don't ever forget this, because this is the foundational message for all of time and eternity, and that is this. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He paid the price once on the cross. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he will not only free you from sin for all of time, but he will free you from sin for all of eternity. You will never have to pay the price for sin in your life because Jesus paid it all on the cross. There is nothing that will free you up quicker from any sin in your life than come into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There is no better day to celebrate Independence Day than on July 4th and realize, you know what, the greatest independence that you and I will ever experience is that when we're free from our sins by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you want to be free from drinking, then you turn to Jesus Christ. And then once you're free from your sin, then you can get support here on earth. If you want to be free from the judgment that comes with sin, then turn to Jesus Christ because Jesus is the only one that can set us free. His word is truth. And he says, sanctify us in his, in his truth, for his truth will set us free. Independence Day. You want to be free from sin? Trust Jesus Christ. You want to be free from alcohol? Commit and trust to Jesus Christ and be obedient to the word of God. Man, and then the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity to look at your word, to study a social issue that is very confusing, complex, and uh, to be frank, uh, you know, we've just been diluted by it, by the messages that we're bombarded with. God, help us all as your people to see the truth of your word, to understand the danger that's involved in drinking alcoholic beverages. God, help us to be role models, to be light and salt. And, and I'm real concerned about our families, God, that we would be men particularly, that would be men who would exemplify godly living. God, help us to understand if we believe it's dangerous in our own life, then it certainly is dangerous in the life of our children and our friends. To, to live that life before them, to role model it in a way that can't be mistaken. God, help us to see that that example is being observed by the people around us. We just thank you that we can turn to, to, uh, to your son, that we can trust in Jesus Christ to free us from all of our sins, including alcoholism and everything that's associated with it. Free us from the misery as family members, from all that's involved in it. God, we just thank you and praise you that nothing, and there's no sin here on this earth that Jesus didn't die for. God, we just thank you and praise you for his wonderful name and for what he's done for us. Amen.